We're going to start in 1 Chronicles 13, and this is David, uh, so this is King David in the Old Testament, and he is literally um, bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, back into Jerusalem. So the Ark of the Covenant was what God had instructed Moses. It was kind of a gold box, or it was overlaid with gold, and in it were the Ten Commandments and a few other things, but it, it really represented the presence and the grace of God. So David has just become king, so he's a kind of a rookie king. He's a new king. He would have been hiding in the caves for some 15 years, and before that he would have been a shepherd boy that was anointed. And here he is, kind of brand new, and let's pick it up in First Chronicles um, 13, and then we'll jump in because I think there's a powerful sort of essence and message that the Lord has for us in this this morning. So First Chronicles 13 and following. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and the commanders of hundreds. So he's talking to all his leaders. Verse two, he said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout all the territories of Israel and also to the priests and the Levites who are with them in the towns, in the pasturelands, and invite them to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Listen to this, so important. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. So David's immediately acknowledging here that during the reign of Saul, we failed to inquire of the Lord. We failed to seek after the face of the Lord. Verse four, the whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all of Israel from the Sihor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirith Jarim. David went all the way to Kirith Jerim to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark called by the name. Verse seven, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. And Uzzah and Aho were guiding it. And David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and with harps, with lyres, with timbrels, with symbols and even with trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor of Kaidan, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen that were drawing the ark had stumbled. Now watch this, verse 10. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before the Lord. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath that had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah, or God broke out against Uzzah is what that means. Verse 12, David was afraid of God. Isn't that interesting that, that his anger covered his fear? David was afraid of God that day, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him to Jerusalem or the city of David. Instead, he took it into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, and the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. Listen to this, this is fascinating. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Holy Spirit, as we open your word today, would you enliven us, would you change us, would you fall fresh on us in this day and in this hour, amen. 
A few years ago, um, Abby and I had purchased a farmhouse cottage. Um, it was off of Masonboro Loop Road here in, in Wilmington. And um, it was a 1954 or 1952 house, and it, it needed, um, I mean, it was terrible. It was like, it needed everything. And uh, it, one of the funniest things that I recall was that the, there was a gap under all the doors about this big because there was green shag carpet that once the carpet came up, there's this huge gap. I mean, it was, it was atrocious. And we, we bought it from the beginning knowing um, that we were gonna gut remodel and overhaul this thing. And Abby, my wife, is just awesome. And she came up with all sorts of designs and ideas, kind of like a Joe Gaines, you know, sort of style. And by the time we were done with this, it was super, super cute. And we'd lived there a number of years. We'd worked really hard. We put it on the market and we were under contract to sell it. And uh, the inspector came and the inspector crawled through the house and he had a list of like 11 things that needed to be repaired. And so the buyer was like, Hey, if you'll repair all these things, we'll close the deal. So I was checking off all my things and I came to the very last thing on my list. And apparently um, an electrical line, the 220 line that hooked up to our range, so our stove that we cooked on in the kitchen was um, hanging and exposed dangerously, even life-threateningly, the inspector said. So um, I, I do a little bit of electrical, like I can change a light or a fan or a light switch, but I don't mess typically with 220 line. Like it's, it's just serious, it's, it's life-threatening. Uh, and so anyway, I called a, um, uh, an electrician and he came out and we got under the house and we started looking and um, he was a little bigger uh, than I am. And it, it turned out that the area was so tight um, underneath the house, like it started this, this big and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller and, and where this wire was hanging was so tight that the electrician couldn't fit there. So guess what he did? He sent me. And he got, I got on my cell phone and he told me what to do and he gave me all the tools and I, I crawl all the way in there and it is literally such a narrow spot that I can't even fit my head between the floor joists and the ground. So I'm literally, I'm like this and I'm looking at this 220 line and I am scared. My heart's beating and I'm sweating and the, the house is like encapsulated so there's no light except my little flashlight and my cell phone. And the electrician is upstairs and he's flipping um, switches on and off the, the, the um, breakers so that there's no electricity so I don't get hurt. So he's on the phone and he goes, okay, it's all shut off. You're safe to proceed. And I thought, well, before I, you know, proceed, I should probably check and, and make sure the electricity's off. So I pulled out my little tool and the electricity wasn't off. And at this time I'm cramped and I'm sweating and I'm getting more scared. And so I said, hey man, the electricity is not off. And so he apparently flipped a few more things and he goes, it should be off now. And so I pulled my little tester back out and it went beep, beep, beep. And it was again, a hot wire. And by this time, I'm starting to freak out. I'm going, you know what? If I work on this thing, I could die up here in the corner of the house with my little you know, body contorted and they're gonna have to haul me out with a rope. I'm literally uh, scared. So finally, I said to him on the phone, listen, man, shut everything off. Like if it's mislabeled, I don't care. Turn the entire house off, shut it all down, shut the entire electrical thing on the entire house down. I do not want to get zapped. And he turned it all off. I ended up with shaking hands, making the repair and doing what I needed to do. And I climbed all the way out before he turned it back on 
and all turned out well. We sold the house. But here's what I want you to think about. We're talking today about a defining moment in King David's life. King David's a young king. And, and we're talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And David builds this new cart. And he's literally transporting the Ark of the Covenant on this new cart. And he's bringing um, the Ark into Jerusalem, which apparently is God's will. And what's amazing, though, is a little bit like the Ark of the Covenant, um, electricity, it's the only human thing I could even think of, but electricity is both highly beneficial and highly dangerous. I love that 220 line because I make coffee on our stove every morning. We cook dinner on it every night. I mean, it, it does the dryer and, you know, dries our clothes after we wash them. That 220 line's amazing. But it is very dangerous. And I was under no misnomer that as I was repairing it, that it could cost me my life if I did it wrong. And so I think what's amazing here is you actually look at the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant is both highly beneficial. You see it in the end verses that we just read. He parked it at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So the presence of God gets parked in the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house, and God blesses everything, his family and his properties and his you know, finances and everything, you name it, God blessed it. But the Ark is highly beneficial and yet highly dangerous, and it really probably all depends on whether you approach it um, with an intimate awareness of its nature. So the first thing that I wanna point out here this morning is um, David literally exhibits here a failure to inquire of the Lord. And what's amazing is he's literally saying in those first couple verses, he's criticizing um, Saul and he's saying, hey, during Saul's reign, he didn't inquire of the Lord. So guess what we're gonna do? We're gonna inquire of the Lord. And so David, being the young king that he was, he sat down and says he conferred with all of his officers. He conferred with the commanders of thousands. He conferred with the commanders of hundreds. He sat and talked to people and everybody seemed to think that it was a good idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And I think it was. I think it was actually God's will that the Ark come to Jerusalem. We know it was God's will because it happened. But what's interesting is in all this, David literally fails to inquire of the Lord. David does not actually stop and say, Lord, do you want us to bring it? And then how do you want us to bring it? So what's, what's uh, I, I think, sort of mind-boggling to me is David um, really does the right thing here, but he does it in the wrong way. So God's desire is that the ark would come back to Jerusalem. God's desire is that his presence and his power would be parked in Jerusalem at ultimately the temple, that, that his presence would come to the city of David. And, but, but what David does is he sort of makes a decision that seems wise in his eyes and in the eyes of all his commanders and friends and whoever. And so he throws this huge party. He calls all of Israel together and it's a 17 mile trip um, from Jerusalem up to where the ark was and then back to Jerusalem. And they're throwing this huge party. And apparently um, the ark is on a cart and the oxen stumble. I mean, you can just imagine the oxen just literally trip while they're walking. And this guy named Uzzah is there and Uzzah gets it in his head that it would be good to help God. And what's Uzzah do? He reaches out to actually steady the ark so that the ark of the covenant doesn't fall on the ground. Like, like it seems good. It seems even like what he's doing is, is right. It, it, it is clear that he has a, a desire um, to help God, right? And yet God breaks out on him, strikes him 
dead. This is a, this is an, an, a, a mind-boggling passage of scripture to me. Because what we begin to see here is the lethal nature of holiness and then the unstinted blessing of the holiness of God. Like, like it is both and. It is, it is lethal, it is dangerous, and yet it is so full of God's goodness and grace and, and blessing. You know, what? an author that I think probably encapsulated this or summed this up as well as anybody I've ever read is C.S. Lewis when he created the character Aslan. And Aslan was known as dangerous, but good. It's like the ark. It, it is the character of God. So Uzzah literally tries to help God in the middle of this 17-mile party, and these people are processing. And you can just imagine, the moment this guy gets struck down, the party stops. Boom. And David is immediately angry. But what's buried beneath his anger is this tremendous fear of God. And he has such a, a negative almost fear of God that he parks the ark at Obed-Edom's house who gets this great blessing. You know, it's interesting because if you look at um, modern churches or modern Christians, I think many times we measure whether it's uh, sort of God or not by if it works, right? Well, let's use that in this situation. The the oxen and the cart were successfully transporting the, the, the ark, right? So it, it, it was working. And yet, and it was the right thing. Bringing the ark to Jerusalem was the right thing. But David did it in the wrong way. See, there's this danger sort of of presumption, this danger of failing to inquire of the Lord, Good intentions here are, are not enough. I mean, David has good intention. Uzzah, bless his heart, had good intentions. He tried to help God, and yet God broke out on him. And there's this danger that I can see. You see it in the Old Testament. You also see it in the New Testament, and I see it in the life of Christians today. Because instead of actually going to the source, the, the author of life, the creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, what do we do? Well, let's ask our neighbors, what do y'all think? Should we do this? Or ask our friends. David asked his commanders. But we go to the people around us and we, we arrive at a conclusion that seems good in our own eyes and yet we fail to consult with the creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who has even issued a prescription for how to carry the ark. So David fails to inquire and falls right into the trap of a rookie king. He has this presumption. I'll just ask everybody. And as long as everybody agrees, hey, does everybody agree? Okay, let's do it. He goes for it. And you see literally the anger of God break out. Good intentions are not enough. All of David's passion and he was worshiping and celebrating with all their might is what it said. And God still broke out because he failed to inquire of the Lord. Now let's, let's pause right here and I'm gonna go to my next point because my next point is literally David is learning to inquire of the Lord. He's learning to walk with the Lord. He's learning to be a king that is, is surrendered in his heart and asks the Lord, what next? Where do we go? So um, I'm gonna read two little passages out of verse 14, or chapter 14, excuse me. But what is happening is David is so scared of God. David is like, oh my goodness. So he parks the ark at Obed-Edom's house and he goes back to Jerusalem. And this is what happens in verse nine of chapter 14. Now, the Philistines had come and they raided the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of God. Look at that. 
He learned, he inquired of God, he stopped, he called a time out. He didn't actually pull together all his commanders. He didn't pull together all his friends. He didn't pull together all the yes people that are gonna say what he wants to hear. No, 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 he stopped everything. And it literally says he inquired of God. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go. I will deliver them into your hands. See, what we literally begin to see here is um, you don't see a literal repentance in David and repentance is just a biblical term. It's a Bible word for saying, change your heart and align with God. It, it's surrender before him and agree with his will and his way. But, but what you literally see here is a demonstrated repentance. So in other words, David recognizes that he operates out of presumption. He recognizes that um, he gets some yes men around him or yes women around him and he gets them all to say what he thinks and then he goes and does it and he recognizes that that is an error. And so when the Philistines raid Israel, he learns to inquire of the Lord. Now go down to verse 13 of chapter 14. Once more, the Philistines raided the valley. Look at what verse 14 says. So David inquired of his God again. Now I want you to see something, church. David is known as a man after God's own heart because when God issues um, a correction or a discipline, he responds. And not only does he respond, he changes. He changes his behavior. He changes his trajectory. He changes his outlook. And so David is literally um, learning to inquire of the Lord. So verse 14, David inquired of God again, and God answered him. Do you believe that? Oh my goodness, the Lord speaks. Do not go, this is what God said, do not go directly after them. So do not go straight in and attack uh, in the front like you did before, but circle around them and attack them in the front of the poplar trees. So attack them from behind. He rear flanked them. And as soon as you hear the sound of marching and the tops of the poplar trees move out into battle. I love this because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. And listen to this. So David's fame spread throughout the land and the Lord made all the nations fear him. Look at that. Until David feared God, God would not make the nations fear him. But when God began to sense that this young king had surrendered and began to get on his uh, knees, surrendering his heart, inquiring of him, submitting all to King Jesus, to Yahweh at the time, God began to establish his kingdom and make the nations all around fear David. So he's literally learning to inquire of the Lord. It's fascinating because when the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, he said, your kingdom come, God's kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's already been accomplished in heaven. See, it's all about uh, God's will and God's way. And what you begin to see here is David does the right thing. It's the right thing to bring the ark back to, to Jerusalem, but he did it in the wrong way. So let's look at two passages in chapter 15, starting in verse one. This brings me to my third point. So my first point is David failed to inquire. The second point is David begins to learn to inquire. And my third point is David finds the path forward by looking backward. 
David finds the path forward by looking backward. Let's check out chapter 15. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Why did he pitch a tent? Because God told Moses to build a tabernacle or a tent. So David begins to look back. He begins to go, okay, God has corrected me. Maybe the new cart wasn't the right idea. So David begins to look back and go, Lord, how do I facilitate bringing the ark of God, bringing the presence of God, bringing the power of God that contains within it um, lethal uh, uh, sort of um, danger, but also great unstinted blessing into our city? So he pitches a tent for it. Verse two, David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. Notice it's carried, not on a cart, but carried because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. So David assembled. Now, love this verse three. So again, David assembles all Israel in Jerusalem. What I love about David is you begin to see David's humility You begin to see David's contrition before King Jesus. You begin to see that David is a man after God's own heart because I think most people and most kings who had assembled everyone and had this huge party and then God breaks out against them would probably go, I'm never doing that again, but not David. No, no, no. David literally goes through this demonstrated repentance process and then he literally says in verse three, he assembled all Israel in Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to the place He had prepared for it. Now, skip down to verse 12. Then he said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves. Consecrate, um, it's another Bible word, but it it, it comes from the Hebrew word uh, for holy, kadash. And it it literally means to become different, um, to set yourself apart, to be different, So consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. Verse 13, it was because of you, the Levites, listen to this, this is it, he's learned. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him. So all of a sudden you get this powerful um, anointing that's literally coming on the life of David because he is no longer acting in presumption. He's no longer simply going to consult his human leaders that are around him. No, no, he's going to stop. He's going to bow the knee and he's going to consult his Lord, his God. And he literally says here, we did not inquire of him. That's why he broke out against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded them in accordance with the word of the Lord. So so David literally, he comes back having been beaten. God breaks out against the people and he literally comes back and he has to look back at the past. He has to look back at Moses. He has to look back at what was already written. It was written how to carry the ark. It was written how to store the ark. It was written how to move the ark. And yet David fails not only to look back, but he also fails to inquire of the Lord and makes this assumption. We'll just move it on a cart. God says, no, 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 no. You want my presence, you do it my way. A lot of people think they want the presence of God, but they fall down because they don't want the ways of God. 
God said, carry that ark on poles that stretch. So nobody's ever even touching that ark. Human contact doesn't even happen. There's poles that goes through rings on the ark and it's carried on the shoulders of sanctified or consecrated men and men at this point. But see, God and the presence of God, application for today, will only come on the shoulders of sanctified, consecrated men and women. You can't ask God to come join your party. You must join his. Look down at the very end of chapter 15. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant. There's probably a couple million people here. All Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts. They're shouting with sounding of ram's horns, with trumpets, with cymbals, and the playing of lyres, and even harps. And it says, King David danced and celebrated. Now here's what I want you to see. David's anger subsides. His fear is sort of what rises to the top. And I think at some point his sinful fear, his negative fear is replaced by a healthy fear of God, by a fear of the most high, by a genuine respect and an awe. Just like I sat with that 220 line sweating bullets going, man, if I do the wrong thing, this is serious. David began to grasp that this is a holy God, that yes, he is king and yes, he is called to rule over Jerusalem and over Israel, but he doesn't get to do whatever he pleases. No, 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 it's King David who serves the most high. So this time, David doesn't pull all his leaders. He doesn't go for popular opinion. But instead, he goes back to the Mosaic Covenant. It just means the promise God made with Moses. And David had realized that God's presence will only come on the shoulders of consecrated men and women, of people who've appropriated the holiness of God. You, you might remember last week, but, but uh, Jesus is literally interacting with Joshua. And, and I actually, I took off my shoes last week. I'm gonna take them off again because Jesus said to Joshua, take off your shoes because the place where you're standing is, is holy ground. And the illustration that I used and made is when we appropriate the life and death of King Jesus into our heart and King Jesus comes and lives inside of us, he is holy and therefore we become holy. David knows that God's will is to bring the ark into Jerusalem but this time David is going after God's will in God's way. You can go after God's will, but neglect God's ways and miss the blessing and purposes of God, even to the point that he breaks out against you like he did with Uzzah. Many people, I think, in this time talk about God doing a new thing, a new thing, a new thing, but I'm actually convinced that what God wants to do is an old thing in a new way. I'm actually convinced that what God intends, not only for America, but for the countries of the earth and why this great shaking is going on in so many different arenas right now is to till the soil of our hearts so that we can turn back to him. See, many people want the presence of God, but they don't want the ways of God. I hear many people, the presence of God, the presence of God, and my question as I look into their lives, as I look into their eyes is always, are you willing to take the journey of the ways of God to be a carrier of the presence 
of God. Many people want the grace of God, they want the peace of God, but they don't want the holiness of God. And the problem is God is not something that you can chop into bits and just eat part of it. It's a, it's a totality. It is this unstinted blessing that the holiness of God offers, but it is also the dangerous um, place of a holy God. My last point this morning is worship. Because what happens here is David and all the people, some million people are literally dancing and they're playing every instrument they have. And it's this huge processional that's going through the streets. And worship uh, is literally the intersection between God's presence, God's ways, God's holiness, and our consecration. Now again, consecration simply means an appropriation, a, a taking what is already ours in King Jesus. So if you're in Christ, Christ is in you, and it's laying hold of that holiness and appropriating it, making it your own, and getting up and laying claim to it and walking in it every single day. Does that mean you won't sin? No, you will sin. I will too. And when you do, you go, Lord, would you forgive me? Just like David did. We didn't see it written, but he did. You might have to look at your family, your kids, your friends, ask their forgiveness. And you uh, ask that the, the holiness of God and that, that the forgiving power of Christ Jesus would come and wash you. But what's fascinating to me here about this whole passage is in, in chapter 13, verse eight, they're dancing with all their might. They're celebrating with all their might and yet it displeases God. Let it be known here, church, that you can have great music and even great singing and yet you can have hearts that are far from him. You can have things that look good and sound good and seem good, and yet the blessing and favor of God is not on it. It's interesting because if you flip to chapter 15 and look at verse 19, what you actually see here is again, David has now done it the right way. He's doing the right thing. He's done it in the right way. He's doing it according to the Mosaic promise. Uh, uh, Levites are carrying it. Consecrated uh, men are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And literally, they are now um, celebrating um, with all of their might. They're worshiping God. They're in awe of this holy God. Now, in this situation, all David can do is direct and lead the people. He looked at him and he said, you are the heads of the Levitical families. Go and consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord. Now, listen to me here. All I can do as a pastor is preach, lead, direct, love, help, instruct. But it's gotta be your job as the people of God to take care of your own heart before him. I wanna get um, practical here. And I wanna be uh, challenging, not that I'm ever not, but I wanna be challenging for just a second. It's not enough to just tune in I'm glad you're here, I'm glad you're watching, I'm glad you're listening, but it's not enough simply to listen to my voice. You have to begin to forge a relationship with King Jesus where you begin to understand how you appropriate and walk in his holiness day by day. It's why I call us to be in the one-year Bible so that you're getting the word even inside of you. And I'm not preaching now here like a, a works gospel or clean yourself up or change your behavior. No, no, no. I'm preaching you surrender your life to the supernatural blood of Jesus. You invite King Jesus into your life and he changes you and makes you holy. Here's a question. Perry, come on up. 
Here's a question. What are you immersing yourself in? I find myself, I get up early, I look out my window, I drink a cup of coffee, I open my Bible, I'm spending time with him. And I find in those moments, the draw to look at my email, to look at my social media, to look at the news headlines, to check our bank accounts, all the stuff, all the distractions. And I think here's my question. All of those things, maybe social media at this moment would even be at the top of my list. Fights and claws for our attention to take what is King Jesus's. I wonder what would happen if we as a people immersed ourselves into the presence of Jesus, into inquiring of God, like we immerse ourselves into the endless scrolling that we do on our phones. Here's a quick litmus test that you could even ask yourself. Are you actively consecrating yourself? Are you actively living in the power of Jesus? Here's the question. How many people did you share Jesus with this week? You go, oh, no, 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 Michael, no, 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 that's your job, you're the pastor. And I'd go, no, 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 that's your job. Because you're the people of God. How many people did you pray for this week? I've begun to look at my own heart and my own life. I want to be vulnerable here a second. And I actually began to look how many times I pick up my phone and scroll, whether that's social media or news, versus how many times I pause to surrender to King Jesus and go, God, would you work in me and through me? I began to look at my own life and go, Lord, how many times do I get focused on the list of things that I'm trying to accomplish or what I'm trying to do next? And you've put somebody here in front of me that you want me to share Jesus with and I don't because I'm too busy. What I began to see even as I'm putting this message together is whatever is the thing that enraptures our attention, that grabs us, that we give ourselves to is the thing to which we're consecrating ourselves. I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a husband. I don't want to be a father that is so locked in to my phone or our bank accounts or the news or my next post. No, no, no. I want to be locked into King Jesus, enraptured by him, inquiring of him, walking with him. And I would call us as a people to be about the same thing. I talk to a lot of people and people say things like, we want revival, we want America to wake up. And yet I would say, truth be told, in the quietness and secret places of our heart, we are often failing to turn to him. I don't know where you are this morning. You might feel a little bit like me. Your head's turned and you're sweating bullets and you're stuck messing with this 220 line and you're scared to death because you got this crazy bald-headed preacher talking about the lethal holiness of God and the unending blessing of God sort of married together, the goodness of God, the grace of God, all, all together. And here's what I'd invite you to do. As Perry closes us, surrender your heart afresh. Maybe you've never even heard a 
preacher talk about inquiring of God. Maybe you've never even thought of this God as personal, as interested in directing your life, as understanding who you are and where you are, as having knit you together, as knowing the hairs on your head, knowing your name, knowing your personality, caring about you. 